Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. We've been talking a lot about your journey for the last few weeks, few episodes, and I want to continue on that for this episode and talk about the isolation that is really common when you're raising a child with anxiety or OCD. We're going to go into how this journey can isolate you. And after the break in the second half of this episode, I want to talk to you about things that we can do in a concrete way to reduce that isolation. And there's something that every single person can do, even if you feel like there isn't. (laughs) We're going to talk about it. But before we get started, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy, and they're available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., And you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. And I'll leave a link in the show notes as well. I also want to give a little shout out to my self-care series that is free, that is going on right now. We are on video number two, but it is an on-demand series. And so you can watch the series at any time while the series is running, which is currently this is the the final week of it. So you can register and and watch the three videos. We also have like a pop-up Facebook group where we're talking about all the things that are going on in the video. You can register at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. That's atparentingsurvivalseries.com. We're going to be talking a lot about, actually, in video three, we talk about isolation and we talk about community and we talk about your own supports and how to identify the weakest link in your support system as well. And so definitely more than bubble baths and chocolate self-care, we go into mindset, we go into your support systems, we go into all this stuff. And the beautiful thing is it's a free series to reset yourself for the new year. So join us over there. I'd love to see you. And let me kind of dive deeper into the topic that we are actually going to be touching on today. So let's move into that. Let's talk about the isolation. You know, it's it's very common, I think, in general, for us as humans to feel isolation when we are going through some trials or tribulations. I know when I was going through my own grief, when I lost my husband suddenly a couple of years ago, it felt very isolating because all of a sudden, things that I didn't notice before were overwhelming, like noticing how many families are out there. Or you go to dinner and you see all these parents and their kids at these tables and having like struggling or arguing or being on the phone. And you think, I don't even have that anymore. I'm like, I'm the other. And if you already had that kind of struggle of feeling like the other, any trial or tribulation, I don't know how else to say it, like any, any barrier or bump in your life can feel like an isolation and and that could be anything. It could be that you have a medically frail child. It could be that you have a sick partner. It could be that you're going through a grief, right? Becoming a widow. It can be that you're raising a child with anxiety or OCD and you are on a journey that the people around you are not on. And that can make you feel very isolated because 
it's common for us as a human species <laughs> to compare ourselves to others and to feel connected by our own communal experiences. And when your experience is different than the people around you, it can feel even more isolating. It can like highlight your grief around not being, not raising a child without any struggles or issues, or, you know, your child's not hitting those milestones or is going through those typical experiences that your friends are going through. And it can, it can actually add to overwhelm and that overwhelm and isolation can trickle down and impact your ability to really support your child and to help them long-term. And so helping yourself is always going to help your child. Not that you're the weakest link. I've been using that expression twice now. You know, it's not that you're, you're the struggle or you're the problem, but it is more of, we have a finite amount of stuff that we can control. I always say that we are one small puzzle piece in the large puzzle of our child's anxiety or OCD. And those puzzle pieces are controlled by lots of variants. Most of it, our child has the control over. Some of it is environmental and some of it is us, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. But when we look at our piece of the puzzle, there are facets to that piece that we get to control. And one of them is our own self-care. That's why I do my free series twice a year, because I feel like it's so important. And how are we going to navigate our child through this journey? And that, as far as the early chapters of our child's life, you know, the zero to 18 or zero to 25 or whatever you're doing, that we have some control over is how are we going to dance with this journey? How, what is the foundation we're, we're going to pour for this journey, for our the beginning part of the journey for our child. The journey is theirs, but it's also our own unique journey because your child's going through anxiety or OCD, but you are going through a parenting journey. And that is actually a parallel journey. They overlap and they mingle, but it is actually a unique situation where just like if someone was, you know, helping a loved one through a terminal illness or a a cancer diagnosis, that caregiving journey is is still a journey in and of itself. And the caregiving journey for raising a child with anxiety or CD is still your journey. You're helping your child with their journey, but that is also part of your journey. And they are two separate journeys. How many more times can I say journey? <laughs> so we have control over that. And it is nice to say, okay, I don't have control over a, a lot of things that I wish I had control over, but let me get the things I have control over. Let me do that well, right? And it feels good in some weird, strange way to be able to check off a box and say, okay, oh, self-care is part of my journey and my self-care is going to actually help my child. Well, then I can control that. And actually that's a win-win because it's going to really help me. And so when you feel isolated, that's the first step really in self-care for raising a child with anxiety or OCD because the isolation makes you ineffective. Ah, I hate to say it, but it's true. And I know I feel this myself when I feel isolated in any struggle that I'm that I'm having. When I felt isolated as a young widow, youngish widow, certainly widows are not commonly in their 40s. When I connected with other young widows, it felt less isolating. It felt more normalized. I felt like I wasn't a freak. I felt like I wasn't the only one. I felt like this was actually part of a lot of people's stories. And it 
it helped me understand the way to navigate the journey. And the same thing goes with anxiety or OCD. When you're all by yourself, you get tapped out. Um, You feel burdened, you feel burnt out, and then you are running on an empty charge and you can't really be as much of an anchor for your child when you're running on empty. And isolation really helps facilitate that empty feeling. So let's talk about different ways that people can feel isolated because I think sometimes people think initially when I bring up a topic that it doesn't relate to them. So maybe they were already listening to an episode and this it rolled into the second episode. So maybe you're listening to episode 348 and now you're here and you're like, this one doesn't relate to me. Or you just, you know, I'd like to listen to all of the episodes. So I'm going to listen to this one too, but I really don't think I feel isolated. The first step in anything that I talk about is just getting you to understand what it means. And I think sometimes we may initially feel like we're not isolated And we don't realize the nuances of feeling alone on this journey. Or maybe you actually feel like you're isolated, but then when we go through it, you're going to be like, actually, I'm not as isolated as I thought. She's going through a lot of examples, and actually a lot of those don't relate to me. So um, let's go through a couple of them. This is many different ways that people that I've worked with have felt alone. The first one is with friends. Even if you have the greatest group of friends, It can be very isolating when we do the comparison game. And I think as parents, we do this in general anyway, which is, I think as human beings, we do this. We compare ourselves to everybody else. Where are we compared to them? And there's almost this innate competitiveness of, I want to be doing just as well as them or better. And even if we don't want to be like that, I think there's like an innate component that does have us to do that sometimes. And this becomes even trickier when we are seeing kids, you know, doing typical developmental milestones, or maybe, you know, your friends are talking about uh, the troubles they're having, and they seem so minor in comparison to what you're dealing with. You know, like, I just can't get her to pick up her clothes. And you're like, my child's been stuck in her room for six months, you know, and, and so it can feel, it can feel frustrating. Like, you don't appreciate what you have when I'm struggling so much, or you're complaining about this little thing, and I would give anything for that to be my problem. That's normal. It's a normal emotion to have. Sometimes we don't want to have those emotions. And I know, and I keep bringing this back to my grief just because I feel like because of what I do, I never have felt isolated with my child's anxiety or OCD, but I did feel initially isolated being a young widow. And so I can relate to it in that way. And it would be irritating when people would complain about their partner's when you're like, at least you have someone to help you. At least you have someone to walk through life with. Um, I think it's a normal thing to have that struggle. And even if you have friends who are sensitive and don't throw it in your face, you can see, you know, and you can hear and it can be hard. Okay. So that's one. I think I, I think I explained that more than enough. Moving on from that are relatives. And sometimes we can feel judgment Sometimes it's overt where they say things like, you should probably not coddle him, or if he would just do this, or I mean, I've had relatives say a lot of insensitive things, and I know I'm at this stage of life where I'm really trying to learn how to not take people's stuff personally, like that's a you problem, not a me problem, or that comment is coming from a lack of knowledge, and I'm not going to waste my energy getting all riled up about it. It'll bother me for a second, and then I let it go. I'm working on it. But I've had people say stuff like, oh, you're just trying to give your parent a hard time. 
or um, when we took care of you, we didn't have any of those problems, but I know we like to give our parent a hard time. That really, that comment really irked me, but letting it go and be like, people want to normalize things, you know, and they want everything to be better or they want it to not be pathologized. And so we have sometimes relatives who will over normalize our struggles because they think that normalizing it is helpful or they'll be judgmental and they'll tell you not to do certain things. And that really isolates your experience. And that can be really hard too. The next one is you might get some insensitive advice. People who think they know everything. You know, when I was little, we would do blah, blah, blah. Or I think if you just, you know, let them cry it out or whatever it is. And that can be draining when, when you feel like it's blaming you or when you feel like it makes you doubt your behavior or your parenting, that could be really draining as well. And so advice can do a lot of stuff to us. Um, it can be very shaming. It can be very blaming. It can make you feel incompetent. It can make you feel judged. It can make, it could devalue the struggle that you're going through. So many things that even if, if you didn't feel isolated before, you're certainly going to start to feel isolated when you're getting a lot of that kind of advice. The next one is medical professionals. Medical and mental health professionals can sometimes add to our isolation. Um, I've had a lot of medical doctors who have minimized or invalidated my child's anxiety or OCD struggles. And, and that can be really frustrating. And I am a therapist. And so if you're a parent and you don't have that clinical expertise, I mean, I can always push back and be like, well, actually, I'm a therapist and I've been doing this for 20 years and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I will... I will get mama bear, you know, angry and, and come back and push back when, you know, I get that in the medical professional world. But if you're not a therapist or you don't feel comfortable doing stuff like that, you could feel like you're being bulldozed, judged, and you can also feel like you have nowhere to go, especially when it becomes mental health, when mental health professionals, you know, hyper-focus on your parenting or um, a lot of therapists are not skilled in OCD. And so they'll look at it and they'll look at the psychodynamics or the family function or, um, you know, what's the origin of this, or there must've been a trauma and it's very like parent blaming. And you think I'm seeing a mental health professional. They should know more than me. And they're saying it's my fault. And so maybe it is my fault. And so you feel even more isolated because now where are you going to get support? Because you went to the place where you're supposed to get support and they blamed you and it doesn't feel quite right. And you feel like, oh, I don't, it's not, I don't feel like it's something I'm doing, but they're saying it's something I'm doing. And now I don't know where to go because even the people that are supposed to help me aren't there for me. That could be very isolating. So you can see there's so many layers that add to our isolation and our feeling of loneliness on this journey that to not feel isolated at any point is pretty rare. Even for me, I mean, I know there was a point of time pretty recently where I couldn't find an OCD therapist to treat my kids. Actually, I could never find one. And either there was a good one, but I knew them personally and so that they wouldn't take my kids or I didn't know them and they weren't good. That happened once. And then I was worried about feeling judged, you know, like I don't want someone in the community to treat my kids and then say, wow, Natasha really actually sucks pretty bad. You know, I have my own insecurities. And so... Uh, I felt isolated. I felt like here I am doling out all this help and support for other people, but I can't even help my own kids. I can help them in the way that I can, but 
they really need someone who is clinically separate from them. You know, it's in a perfect world, it's nice to have a clinical support that is dictating treatment and it's not coming from the parent. And for most of my life, my, my children's life, I have had to play both hands and that's been very, very, very hard. And recently we found a therapist, two therapists actually for both my kids. Um, Psych Pact has been really helpful. Psych Pact is um, kind of came about, I think around COVID time where there is some licensing reciprocity in different states. Um, and if you are in the United States and you didn't know about that, something to look into is Psych Pack. Let me look up their website really quick for you while we're talking. Um, but what's very cool about that is that um, if you are in a state that does that, which is actually most states, except looks like California. What, is, what state is that? There's a couple of states, but most of the map is actually blue, which is hopeful. It is only just psychologists. And so a therapist can have lots of different degrees. Like I am actually an LCSW, a licensed clinical social worker. I can have a licensed clinical counselor. You can have your master's in family therapy. Like, And we can all be doing the exact same stuff. And so the degree doesn't matter as much as the education in OCD. But this is only for psychologists. And so if you go to sitepack.org slash M, as in Mary, page, slash sitepacked map, I will copy this. I'll go ahead and link it in my show notes as well for you. But if you go to that page, which I will link in the show notes, you will find um, all of the states that are currently participating in SciPact. And then that opens up a lot of people that you can actually go to, which I think is fantastic. There's also no CD at treatmyocd.com. So that's very helpful too. And so there really is less reason not to find a good child anxiety, no CD therapist. And so I did, it's been very therapeutic to not be the one driving my child's treatment and less isolating getting the right medical professional and mental professional, mental health professional is really important. The last one is the school. When they're like, what do I need to do with your child? What's wrong with your child? How do I handle this? Why isn't your child coming to school? It can feel really isolating too, because sometimes they kind of make it like your child's the only problem. Do you ever experience that? And you may not because school may not be an issue, but when school is an issue, it can feel like you're their front burner problem and it's never happened before. (laughs) And that can feel really isolating too. So what do we do with all this? Did I hit a nerve or are you thinking you're pretty doing pretty, you're doing pretty good? Um, I think sometimes we don't think about all those different facets of isolation, but after the break, I want to talk about how to feel less isolated. I never cover a topic without some concrete ways to get through the struggles that we're talking about. And this episode is no exception. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. 
Um, so we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start, get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding your touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized that it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it. And I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Welcome back. All right, so let's talk about actionable tools to get yourself to feel less isolated. And some of this might not be rocket science and some of it might be ideas that you never really thought about before. But isolation isn't just about going and making some friends because a lot of times parents will say to me, I have a lot of friends but I feel very isolated. And so, and for me, I don't have a lot of friends, but I don't feel isolated anymore. And part of that is getting the right support and also being okay with myself. So everyone's journey in reducing their isolation is going to look different. Because I know for me, when people talk about, oh, you don't want to be isolated or you don't want to feel alone. To me, it kind of triggers my social anxiety because I think you're going to ask me to do something that's going to involve people. <laughs> and I don't want people. I'm getting better. But when I think about that, there was just all this pressure just on the assumption that it's going to require me to have some social contact um, because that's going to be draining. And that's the last thing I need when I'm already feeling drained. So for those of you that are similar to me, we're not going to just talk about that. However, the first thing I am going to say in my list of things that I'm going to say is you can find friends with similar issues. Now, that's not for everybody. And that's why that's my caveat there, because that probably wouldn't be my answer. I went to a support group for grieving widows, young grieving widows, which that's a find. I'm really glad that I was able to find one in my area, but I didn't make any friends there. You know, my uncle, who's 80 and lost my aunt a couple of years ago. He went to a grieving group and like now three women in that grieving group are his best friends. 
that doesn't happen to me. <laughs> why doesn't that happen to me? I just don't make friends that easily. I don't know why. So yeah, I didn't make any grieving buddies. I kind of wanted to at the time because I really wanted to have a friend that was going through a similar experience to me. But nobody asked me to hang out after a grieving group. <laughs> you know, It just didn't happen. So finding friends with similar issues isn't going to always happen. But if you are just a really extroverted person and you make friends wherever you go, then you might be able to find friends with similar issues. And you can do this in lots of different ways. And we're going to talk about some of the ways as we go through this list. The first one is a local support group. And so an in-person support group is ideal because it's conducive to making friends for some people. (laughs) Not this person who's talking to you, but other people for sure. Some people just instantly make friends with everybody they interact with. We were traveling with my Um, husband, sister, and her family over Christmas break. And they are two incredibly extroverted people. One is like super extroverted and one's like an introvert extrovert. And they got, they had more conversations with strangers than I probably have ever had in my life just in the two weeks that we were traveling with them. And they even got someone's phone number. That never happens to me. I just don't elicit that kind of response from people. Uh, It would just wired differently, I guess. But if you are that kind of person, probably connecting with people in person in a support group will do that. If your child's seeing a therapist, ask them if they have parent support groups or if they have support groups in the area. You can go to the IOCDF and see if there's a local chapter for you. Go to IOCDF.org and then um, they have a support group link and I'll put a link in the show notes as well and show up for one of those. If they have those, NAMI has support groups. If you go to NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org. That's a much more general group. So that's National Alliance on Mental Illness is what NAMI stands for. And it's national, obviously, that's in their name. So these would not be resources necessarily for those of you that are out of the states, but they do have support groups. There's NAMI support groups all over and you you can see that on their website pretty easily. And so There's also ocduk.org, which is, if you're in the UK, that's another one that can be really helpful um, and go on their website and they might have some support groups as well. Or you can create your own, you know, go to the IOCDF and see if you can create your own support group or have you ever heard of meetup.com? So meetup.com is not like match.com. It's not a dating site. It is a, a way to create local groups and events and activities and You can just register and for a very nominal fee, you can actually create your own local group. People can search for local groups and they can join you. And it's actually a great way to meet people with similar interests or similar struggles. When my mom died, when I was in my 20s, no, I was in my early 30s, Um, but my mom was only 59 at the time. And so I looked up meetup groups for people who lost their their mom in particular, because at the time I wanted to be around other people people who have lost their mom. And there was a meetup group, surprisingly, of other women who had lost their moms. And that was actually really helpful because most of them had lost their moms kind of at similar stages of life, like a little earlier on. And um, that was helpful. So you can create your own meetup. I'm actually in a book club currently that I found on meetup.com. So I do like meetup.com because I think it's like an easy way to um, connect with other people in a non- like pressured situation. So that's an option too. create your own group. Moving on from there, because those are things that might make me uncomfortable if I, somebody else suggested those to me. There are some other things that you can do. If you have some key relatives that are worth investing education into, 
and worth letting them into your world and saying, let's go out for a coffee or tea and let me talk to you about our struggles and educate a few key relatives to support you. That can go a long way because we need our own release valve. And if you don't have a release valve at home, it's not satisfying your needs, then, you know, creating one outside of your, your home is really helpful because honestly, I know for me, I only need a few good friends. Even if I don't, even if they don't consider me their best friend, I only need a few good friends that I feel like I have a deep connection with for me to feel emotionally and socially complete and full because I really don't have a big space. And so what is that for you? You know, do you need a group of friends that are light and fluffy and easy? And then you need a few key people in your world who are really there on speed dial to fully understand your stuff and care and want to hear about it. And that might be a relative because honestly, sometimes friendships, depending, kind of get tapped out pretty easily. But relatives can be there. I know for me, like my siblings and I have had many chapters in our lives and some chapters are closer than others. And it we, we tend to get closer with each other depending on there's there's four of us so it depends on the relationship but when there's there's a strife when there is a struggle when one of us gets divorced or one of us goes through um, a diagnosis or for me like losing a husband like that has brought us closer and so getting a few key relatives that support you could be really helpful and it might take a little bit of investment it might take you being more vulnerable and open if you aren't already, and it might be you educating them because sometimes we get frustrated when we have to educate people and we think you just don't get it. So I'm not going to explain it to you. But sometimes if we actually took the time to put in a little bit of the work and have a little bit of compassion and grace for the person who doesn't fully understand, it can go a long way. So that's an option. And when you're doing that, you can bring them to a therapy session and invite them in so the therapist can help educate them. I've had lots of parents bring in sisters or their parent for me to educate the relative about the struggle. And that's really been helpful. In the AT parenting community, my online membership community, I have quite a few grandparents in there who are there just to fully support their child, their adult child. And I think that's amazing. So is there wiggle room? Is there someone that maybe you can invest in that you haven't really thought about investing in? And it doesn't have to be a relative. It could be a friend. Moving on from there, I'm going through my list. You might want to develop responses to insensitive advice or come up with your own internal dialogue on how you're going to handle insensitive advice. If it's happening a lot or it's draining you, what do you do with that? And, you know, do you have a saying that you're going to say when people are insensitive? Or if it's a particular person, is there a boundary that you can put on that person? I know a couple of years ago, I had a friend who kind of came back into my life just briefly. And I felt like they were overstepping. They were they were giving me unsolicited advice <laughs> on things that I didn't really feel like I wanted their opinion about. And it was draining for me. And so eventually I put a boundary of, we're not going to talk about my kids. And I don't want you to ask to hang out with my kids. Like that's, that's uncomfortable for me. And so I don't have that friendship anymore. <laughs> Go figure. But Developing some boundaries on people who give you insensitive advice might be one option Um, for me, for relatives that I enjoy, but they don't seem to fully get my child's anxiety or OCD. Do I need them to get it? And so I've kind of come 
to a point in my life where I'm trying to not be black and white in my thinking around people. I feel like I had pretty sharp edges in the past where it was like a black or white thing. Like they, I like them or I don't like them. Like I really, there was no gray for me and I don't want to be that person. And so I have, I'm trying to soften my edges and I'm trying to say, you know what? It's okay. They don't get it. Maybe mental health struggles scare them. They want to normalize everything and they don't need to get it. So some people are going to need to be maybe cut out of your life. And some people, we have to give them a pass because the intention to hurt isn't there and the ability to grow isn't there. And so it's internal work. Yep. They don't understand anxiety and that's okay. Yep. They made a comment about minimizing it, but they don't get it. Why does it have to impact me? It doesn't have to because I'm enjoying them in other different ways. And so I'm still choosing to have them in my life and that's okay. Um, so having kind of an understanding of how you're going to navigate that on some level can be really helpful. The next one is your medical and mental health professional support. Shop around. And I know that's tiring, but bad support is worse than no support. I don't want someone who's going to make me feel like a bad parent or make me feel like it's all in my head. And I'd rather not deal with you. And so I had a pediatrician that made some comments about my child's eating, who had ARFID, who has ARFID, you know, that no child ever starved, you know, and they didn't eat dinner. They should just save it and eat it in the morning. That's what my mom would have done. And it's like, okay, after a couple of comments like that, uh, he was no longer my pediatrician, you know, because I need a supportive pediatrician. And I found one who's very supportive. I feel like he gets me. I feel like he understands. I feel like he listens to me. And that's great. And so find supportive medical professionals that you feel heard for. And it's easier to shop around for a pediatrician than it is for a therapist because those are not a dime a dozen and those are hard to find. And so that it could be a little bit trickier, but if you are feeling beaten down, blamed and judged by a therapist, it's, it's not a good therapist because you're, you're the anchor for your child. And if your child's therapist is not empowering you and making you feel like you've got this, then it's not a good therapist because you're a piece of the cog in the wheel and you can't, you can't jam up, right? I mean, you're like a pivotal piece your puzzle piece. But right now in this chapter, you're a pivotal piece and we need you anchored and we need you feel to, we need you to feel really supported. And if you don't, that's a, that's a big problem. And so shopping around, ideally, uh, maybe if you look at SciPact or you go to no CD, um, shop around until you feel like you have a good therapist. It's hard with OCD because to find a pediatric OCD therapist is really tricky. Um, and so sometimes they're not great, but I have found that, If they're a really bad OCD therapist, they can do damage too. And so I'm going to shop around. And once you get a good team of medical and mental health professionals, you'll feel really supported. And that's really important. The next one's the school. And so sometimes we have to get an advocate to help us. When you're in the school system, you can feel teamed up against. And especially if you're trying to go to bat for your child and you want accommodations or you want a 504 plan or an IEP, it can feel really overwhelming. And I know in the States, and I don't know about this abroad, but you can hire a special education advocate, which looks different in each state. Sometimes they're attorneys, sometimes they're volunteers, sometimes they're super expensive, but 
someone to go with you to these meetings to advocate your rights. And that can really help you feel less isolated and overwhelmed. There is an article on on understood.org on how to find a special education advocate. And I will go ahead and link that as well in the show notes, making a big list to link here so that you have some resources as well. But that can really be helpful to, to feel like you're not alone and you don't have to go to bat as hard because you have an advocate in your corner. And so that can, that can go a long way. Um, the last one I want to mention, which is last but not least, is all the online stuff that I provide. And so if you're like me, I think this is partly why I do this. It's like there's, and it doesn't mean that you have to be like me, but for me, I'm much more, I'm, I'm much more likely to tap into online stuff than I am in-person stuff because of my own social anxiety. And it seems like a hassle. And I'm like, I don't want to go out my house. (laughs) I travel a lot. I actually do leave my house, but the social aspect just feels draining to me. But online communities are very supportive and uplifting. And actually, I feel like the hive brain of tapping into people all over the world adds to that expertise because you have just so many more people at your fingertips who are going through similar situations. And that's really what I've done in my world. So for example, my free series is happening right now. We are in the final week of it, which you can register for still. And we're talking about self-care and we're talking about feeling isolated. We're talking about anxiety and OCD and we're talking about your support system and we're talking about your triggers and your mindset. And always, because I do this series twice a year, people will, will message me or will comment and they'll be like, I've finally feel like I'm not alone. I hear that a lot in myself, especially my self-care series, because more people are attracted to that for this topic. And um, I do a pop-up Facebook group and I have a large public free Facebook group as well. And I'll link that in the show notes too. But um, they really enjoy just the interaction of other people during that, during the free series. And so find your people And you can have a great group of friends in the real world, but to get that extra support. And a lot of times parents will say, it's so nice to hear other people talking about the same things that I'm going through. And it's just really normalizing or you get really good suggestions. So I always, I have four free series that I do throughout the year. There are only, there are two different ones, but I do, I do each one one of them twice. I have a free Facebook group. It's large. And so um, that is for people that are looking for free resources. And so if you're looking for, you know, just a free place to connect, I have, there's like 36,000 parents raising kids with anxiety or OCD in my free public Facebook group. And I will link that group for you. So there's a lot of free stuff that I do, my podcast, my YouTube channel to help normalize things for your child, but also that community aspect. And so that Facebook group is really a great group to normalize things. Um, but people have asked me to do more personal stuff. They wanted something more intimate. They wanted to get to know parents on a closer, more intimate level. And so I did create the AT parenting community, which is my membership community. It's less than a copay per month. Um, and so it's really affordable and the community aspect of the AT parenting community is just one small aspect of it. But what I like about it is there's typically, it ranges, there's typically between 1,000 to 1,300 members of the AT parenting community. That's pretty much been the way that it's been since it started to evolve. 
people get better, they feel connected, or they get, you know, their child does better and they leave. And then we get new people that come in. And so I open the doors about four times a year so that it doesn't feel like a revolving door. But people really get to know each other in there and they feel like they don't feel like they're alone anymore. And so we started to do like live Zoom classes each week. We have a monthly Zoom support group call. So you get to actually like see people if you want to. Um, Some people actually only want to tap into the free classes and the free courses they get. And they never want the community part. Like everyone has a different need. Um, Sometimes people just want their kids to have a support group. And so they'll join just so their kids can go to our monthly support group or their teen can go to our monthly support group. And they really don't want anything for themselves. But it is a community. And I've never heard anyone in that community ever say they feel alone. Um, We talk a lot about our struggles and never is it, I feel so alone. It's always like maybe I feel like my friends don't get it or I feel like my doctor doesn't get it, but thank goodness for this group. And I love that because that's why I created it. So um, the doors are currently closed to the AT parenting community, but they are going to be opening up really soon. Let me just look at the calendar when this podcast is coming out. It will be opening up on January 22nd. So really soon because you're listening to this the week before. I'm batching this. So this is, I'm actually recording this a couple of weeks beforehand. So I have to look at my calendar, but the AT parenting community will open up next week if you're listening to this as it's released. And you can join the wait list if you want to be the first to know about it. You can just go to atparentingcommunity.com, get on the wait list, and uh, you'll get notified when it opens up. But that's another great way to not feel isolated because you have me on tap. Um, there's parents that talk to me almost on a daily basis, like every other day, because you can message me in the forums, which is in our member website that is login protected. And I've had parents who don't have a therapist, so they're always brainstorming with me or they're, you know, getting support from me. We have our own private Facebook group, but if you're not on Facebook, it doesn't matter because we do everything on Zoom as well. But um, a lot of times parents just want to connect with other parents. We do have a buddy program where You can connect with other people locally, or you can have your kids connect locally. So a lot of really good community stuff so that you don't feel isolated in whatever way you need to, because some people just want to connect with other people and other people want to meet new people in their areas. And we help facilitate that as well. So lots of solutions, you know, take what you want and throw away the rest. But I hope that you found that helpful. I hope that you're finding this podcast helpful and I hope that that's making you feel less isolated as well. That was my goal and hope for creating the podcast and the YouTube channel is to normalize anxiety and OCD and be a little voice in your ear as you're walking or doing the dishes or getting to work or, you know, putting your kids to bed, whatever, wherever you are right now that, you know, you hear my voice and you're like, oh, I know I'm not alone because there's at least Natasha. (laughs) right? She's something more than nothing. So don't forget to rate my podcast. If you're enjoying it, leave a star, write a comment. I greatly appreciate that. Um, And maybe I'll be reading yours if you leave one and sign up for my free series. I would love to see you over there. We've got a couple more days left in that. You can go to atparentingsurvivalseries.com, register, join the Facebook group that's temporary just for the series. and, And I'll see you over there. I would appreciate that. 
So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 